Joshua chapter 13. Okay, let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for uh, just being able to open the Word of God. And Lord, every day, including today, have our heart exposed to your Word. Lord, I think of that proverb which says, He who trusts in his heart is a fool and how we need to expose our heart to its foolishness lord by the word of god and and lord uh, all our hearts are like that and so we need you we need the word we need these great examples from the old testament of uh, of your grace of how you move how you uh how, how our Christian life today is supposed to be lived. And so, uh, in the name of Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, Lord, guide us and lead us in this word. Amen. Okay, Joshua 13, verse 1 says, Now Joshua was old, advanced in years, and the Lord said to him, You are old, advanced in years, and there remains very much land yet to be possessed. Now, at the end, uh, or during, at some point in the last lesson, we discussed uh, the meaning of Joshua eleven twenty three, which says this. It says that Joshua took the whole land according to um, all that the Lord had said to Moses, and then the land rested from war. And so uh, that particular verse, of course, we must interpret in light of all the other verses in the Bible, uh, including chapter 13. And so, uh, so often I, I do run into folks who are interpreting the whole Bible in light of one verse rather than the other way around. We don't want to do that. And so uh, here, um, that verse in Joshua eleven twenty three must be interpreted in, in light of uh, Joshua chapter 13. So uh, Joshua chapter 13 makes it clear there remains much land yet to be possessed. So what does it mean then when verse 23 of chapter 11 says Joshua took the whole land according to all that the Lord had said to Moses? Well, that verse needs to be interpreted in light of the last five words of that verse, which say the land rested from war. So um, th the idea there in chapter 11, verse 23, is that no more were the uh, Canaanites coming up, f uh, you know, were mobilizing against the children of Israel, as we have seen up to this point. Uh, there wasn't guerrilla warfare going on, uh, uh, coming out and attacking uh, the occupiers. The, the land rested from war, and, and there was a peace. There was, however, uh, within each allotment of each uh, tribe, land allotment, more in that in this, in this chapter, chapter 13, there were pockets um, of not of resistance, but of places where the enemies lived and which each of the tribes needed to go in and uh, really uh, take out. Remember, this only makes sense. The uh, 
the east of the Jordan, there were wives and children waiting for their fathers to come back from war, and for in order for um, all the pocket, all the pockets that, or the places where the enemies dwelled in every single square mile in Israel, they never would have gotten back to their wives or would have been another five or ten years. So um, uh, here in chapter 13, verse 1, the Lord uh, comes to Joshua and he comes to him at a time when the land had rested from war. Uh, and and he reminds them, hey hey Joshua, there's a lot of land uh, left that needs to be possessed. Again, speaking of pockets of land within each of the tribes' allotment uh, in in the land of Israel. And uh, the Lord is faithful to do that. You know, as a pastor. I was just down in um, in Haiti, and Pastor Serge and Calvary Chapel Porter Prince and I were were joking about uh, with each other throughout the trip of the the need. And actually, it's it's not a joke. It's it it's just a reality of uh, to be incredibly patient with people because so often what you see of Christians, they will spend uh, five to seven years uh, growing, and remember that's the period of time here in chapter 13 since they had crossed the Jordan and there's a period of rest that the Lord has granted them in their life because many of the enemies have been conquered and then they basically uh, rest from serving the Lord. Uh, The Lord has a rest for all of us really for our whole lives in terms of uh, of a peace um, but uh, what we don't want to do is rest from doing all that which God has called us to do. And so oftentimes what you'll see is uh, someone, uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit and the faithful of, uh, of God, they will get rid of their addiction, their alcohol addiction, their their um, drug addiction, their sexual addiction. And, and in many respects, when you get rid of those things, there's rest in your life. And many Christians will basically uh, just rest in their comfort zone there and not vig- vigilantly be seeking the Lord anymore. And the Lord's faithful to do with them, with us, uh, just what he uh, did here with Joshua. He'll be knocking on your door. If, if, you, if you have uh, stopped seeking after him, <laughs> him stop stop the sanctification process which is for a whole life um he will be knocking on your door um as he does with joshua here and um and and he'll get really specific as he does in the next uh, the ensuing verses that he he will be real specific uh as to what area of your life uh, that you need to uh, that you need to deal with. And so uh, he does that here too with, uh, with Joshua. Verse 2, he says, This is the land that yet remains, all the territory of the Philistines and all that of the Geshurites from Sihor, which is east of Egypt, as far as the border of Ekron, northward, which is counted as, Can- as Canaanite. The five lords of the Philistine, the Gazites, the Ashdodites, the Ashkelonites, the Gittites, the uh, Ekronites, the Avites, from the south, all the land of the Canaanites, and 
uh, mira that belongs to the Sidonians as far as the Aphek to the border of the Ammonites, the land of the Gebelites, and all Lebanon toward the sunrise from Baal Gad below Mount Hermon. So that's way up there, uh, Mount Hermon, as far as the entrance to Hamath. All the inhabitants of the mountains from Lebanon as far as Brook Mis and all the Sidonians, them I will drive out from before the children of Israel, only divide it by lot to Israel as um, an inheritance as I have commanded you. Now, I love this uh, verse 6 here because not only does he come to Joshua and say, hey, look, I know the land is at rest and things have gotten real comfortable, but here's everything uh, you need to to still be doing. You, you can't stop. Uh, and, and then he repeats the promise. See, he, the, the promise was given at the outset of the journey. We saw that in jo, uh, Joshua chapter 1. But now that the land is at rest from war, meaning the pockets of resistance have stopped, God still tells them, you still got to go into those pockets and take out those areas and possess them or those people will be a, a snare to you because of all their um, their wicked practices um, and I will drive them out. So the, the promise is repeated and the Lord does that. He, he will, will remind us. He'll knock on our door. Hey, hey, why, why are you sitting on your behind? As, as uh, my wife would say. You need to to be seeking the Lord. You still have this this uh, this anger problem. This uh, you still have this this pride problem. You still have this this greed problem. You need to be um, uh, working on those things. And by the way, I will help you drive them out. And so um, verse seven says, "Now therefore, divide this land as an inheritance to the nine tribes, and." the half and half the tribe of Manasseh. And so uh, here a uh, division of the land is going to take place here. Uh, Actually, verse 8 is going to begin with the area of the west, rather the east side of the Jordan, the Reubenites, the Gadites, and uh, the rather the half tribe of, of Reuben, the half tribe of Manasseh, and the Gadites, and then it's going to move on into the other tribes in chapter fourteen. Now, I, I, it's important to connect the dots here uh, that in Numbers thirty-four they're going to divide the land here, but. I, but the it begs the question well once you divide the land how do you uh divide that once you've given a tribe its allotment who what what about all the families who gets what land within the tribe well uh for those of you who have uh, been with us for a while now numbers 34 answers that question in numbers 34 uh the lord spoke to moses and 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 actually uh, named by name the heads of each tribe who would be responsible for allotting to the families, uh, the individual families, um, where they would be. And so, again, um, as I taught at that time, uh, again today, there needs to be 
just integrity is so important because you can only imagine the uh, opportunity for favoritism here. And as I, uh, my last sermon here in Boston on in the book of Romans, God doesn't receive face, meaning he's not a respecter of persons. That's what that name respecter means in the Greek. He doesn't see a face and say, oh, I recognize this face. I'm going to give him more land or I recognize this face. I don't like him. I'm going to give him less land. So um, anyway, Numbers 34 tied right into uh, Joshua 13 here. So uh, they begin uh, the uh, the allotment here in Joshua 13 to the the three tribes that are going to be living on the east side of the Jordan. Verse 9 says, From Arar, which is on the bank of the river Arnon, and the town that is in the midst of the ravine, and all the plains of Mediba as uh, far as Dibon, all the cities of Sihon, of the Amorites who reigned in Heshbon as far as the border of the children of Ammon, Gilead the bo- and the border of the Geshurites and the Maccathites, all up Mount Hermon and all Bashan as far as Salka, all the kingdom of Og in Bashan who reigned in Astra and Idra who remained in the remnant of the giants for Moses had defeated and cast out these. Nevertheless, the children of Israel did not drive out the Geshrites or the Maccathites, but the Geshrites and the Maccathites dwell among the Israelites until this day. So we will begin to see this pattern. Uh, Not all the tribes uh, were driven out. Uh, Let me rephrase there. Not all the tribes drove out all the enemies. uh, among them, and uh, as a result, um, they these people would become a snare to them. Some of the t- tribes, uh, uh, it looks like, did drive out everyone, but um, not all of them. Verse 14 says, Only to the tribe of Levi he had given no inheritance. The sacrifices of the Lord God of Israel made by fire are their inheritance, as he said to them. Interesting that many times we're going to hear this, uh, that the tribe of Levi is not going to get a specific allotment of land in the way the other tribes did. And that's because um, they were to be scattered around the nation of Israel uh, in order to be uh, the salt uh, of the earth, a, a preservative in the land, teaching the word of God. And uh, it says here that the Lord God is their inheritance. And uh, the the Levites are a, a foreshadowing of every single born-again Christian. We're told in First Peter, we're, we are temporary residents, we're pilgrims, we're sojourners. Our heart is not to be rooted into the world in any way. Uh, and so uh, here... There would be uh, Levites as well scattered throughout the east side of the Jordan, as um, as well as we'll see later the the uh, the west side of the Jordan. Verse fifteen. And Moses had given to the tribe of the children of Reuben an inheritance according to their families. Their territory was from Aror, which is on the bank of the river Arnon, and the city that is in the midst of the ravine, and all the plain of Mediba. 
Heshbon, and all its cities that are in the plain, Dibon, Baimoth, Baal, Beth, Baal, Meon, Jehaza, Kedamoth, Methoth, Kerjatham, Sibma, Zareth, Shahar, on the mountain of the valley, Beth Piar, the slopes of Pisgah, and Beth Jeshemoth, all the cities of the plain, and all the kingdom of Sihon, king of the Amorites, who reigned in Heshbon, whom Moses had struck with the princes of Midian, Evi, Recham, Zur, Zur, Reba, who were princes of Sihon dwelling in the country. The children of Israel also uh, killed with the sword Balaam, uh, the son of Beor, the soothsayer, among those who were killed by them. Uh, it's interesting, we're told here, actually a second time, because we were already told once in the book of uh, Numbers, that uh, that um, that Balaam was killed. He he. Uh, his name really lives in infamy, not only in the Old Testament, but the New Testament, as one who had drawn uh, Israel into sexual morality and who he himself was given over to greed. And, uh, you know, I, sometimes a reminder is necessary that whatever a man sows, he will reap. Because when you were reading those chapters and numbers of, of Balaam, who was uh, doing the evil that he was doing, uh, you might have said, well, I don't understand why a bolt of lightning uh, didn't come down immediately and judge him. Well, God, uh, as it says in Romans 2, uh, I'm thinking a lot about this lately because I'm in Romans, do not despise the long-suffering of the Lord. He, uh, he loved Balaam. As hard as that is for us to realize, he loved him. Uh, he loved the Amorites, waited 450 years after the, uh, their land was promised uh, to Abraham to, 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 for them to repent. He loves them, but eventually there will be judgment as there was on Balaam here, uh, this description. Verse 23, And the border of the children of Reuben was the bank of the Jordan. This was the inheritance of the children of Reuben according to their villages, the cities and their uh, village, villages. Uh, rather, this was the inheritance of the children of uh, Reuben according to their families, the cities and their villages. Verse 24, Moses had given an inheritance to the tribe of Gad, to the children of Gad according to their families. Remember, it was half tribe of uh, Manasseh, half tribe of Reuben, and Gad on the east side of the Jordan. Verse 25, their territory was Jazer, and all the cities of Gilead, and half the land of the Ammonites as far as Ariar, which is before Rabbah, and from Heshbon to Ramoth, Mizbah, and Betonim, and from Mahanaim, the border of Debir, in the valley of Beth-Haram, Beth Nimrah, Sukkoth, and Savon, the rest of the kingdom of Sihon, king of Heshbon, with the Jordan as its border, as far as the edge of the Sea of Chinnereth, that would be the Sea of Galilee, on the other side of the Jordan eastward. This is the inheritance of the children of Gad, according to the families, the cities of their villages. Moses also gave an inheritance to the half-tribe of Manasseh. It was for the half-tribe of the children of Manasseh, according to their families. Their children was from Mahanaim, all Bashan, all the kings of Og, king of Bashan, all the towns of Jair, which are in Bashan, 60 cities, half of Gilead and Ashtoreth and Edra, cities of the kingdom of Og of Bashan, were for children of Maker, 
the son of Manasseh for half of the children of Maker, according to their families. These are the areas which Moses had distributed as an inheritance in the plains of Moab on the other side of the Jordan by Jericho eastward. But to the tribe of Levi, once again we have this reminder, Moses had given no inheritance. The Lord God of Israel was their inheritance as he had said to them. Praise God. The same can be said of you and me. The Lord God is our inheritance. We have no inheritance on the earth. Our inheritance is with Christ in heaven. Chapter 14 says this. These are the areas which the children of Israel inherited in the land of Canaan, meaning west of the Jordan which Eleazar the priest, Joshua the son of Nun, and the heads of the uh, fathers of the tribes of the children of Israel distributed as an inheritance to them. Interesting there that we say, see Eleazar the priest um, had a, a role with Joshua and then those 12 heads from Numbers tw- uh, 34, the heads of the tribes from Numbers 34, um, all three of them. And so a, a spiritual thing is going on here. That's why you see the introduction of the priest. Uh, uh, yes, physically, this is um, uh, an apportionment of land in the, in, in, in the physical realm. But remember, this is the land from which the Messiah would sprout up. This is a big deal. This is the land from which Jesus will reign someday. And uh, again, hence you see the insertion here in verse 1 of Eleazar the priest, that spiritual head, uh, uh, that man, uh, the high priest, uh, in the... Uh, amongst the the children of Israel there. Verse 2 says, Their inheritance was by lot, as the Lord had commanded by the land of, rather, by the uh, hand of Moses for the nine tribes and the half-tribe. And so here you see that uh, the inheritance was by lot, now, was it just a coincidence, and was it just chance what uh, what each allotment would be? No, Proverbs sixteen thirty three says this: the lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. And so, um, we it's it's important to note here that uh, this is not how. Uh, we determine God's will uh, in the New Testament, in our New Covenant. And you may ask, well, how do we ter- determine God's will in the New Covenant? Matthew 7, verse 7, middle of the Sermon of the Mount, Jesus says this, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will be fine. Knock and it will be opened to you. And and the verbs there are in the gerund tense, meaning continuous. Asking it will be given to you. Seeking you will be fine. Knocking and it will be opened to you. Meaning we we seek the will of God by the power of the Holy Spirit who is inside of us. Unlike uh, our brethren in the Old Testament, we have the Spirit of God 
living inside of us. Uh, we, um, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians six nineteen, do you not know that your body is the temple of, um, of the Holy Spirit? Uh, and moreover, it says in the last chapter of 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, do you not know that yourselves that Jesus is in you? And so we have that benefit, but we must seek out the Lord as to what his will is. Um, the Bible says in Colossians 3, 15, let the peace of God uh, rule in your hearts, be the umpire of your hearts. And uh, that is just so important. God will give you a peace or a lack of peace um, or right about a, a certain way that you're, you're supposed to go. And now granted, it does take some years maturing and sanctifying the Lord to distinguish between our feelings uh, and between what God is, is telling you. Uh, I, I will give you a, a recent example in my life. I uh, just got back from Haiti and uh, there, previous to me going down there, the trip was had been canceled because there were uh, demonstrations in the street, there were uh, shootings, there were uh, uh, killings, rocks being thrown, this type of, uh, of thing. Uh, and uh, the trip had been canceled, but um, uh, about four days before my originally scheduled department, Pastor Serge down there called me and said, well, you know, it's the demonstrations have stopped. Uh, come on down. And so I can tell you that uh, nothing within me wanted to go. There was no feeling in me that wanted to go. Uh, there was the safety issue, but uh, there was also just the issue of I had already been living my life as I was not going, making plans, and uh, there's, uh, um, you know, as is always the case uh, in ministry, there's there's plenty to do, and then there's my flesh, which thinks I'm an indispensable to the ministry here, which I'm absolutely am not. You know, how can I go? I'm needed here. Nothing in me wanted to go, but I had a complete lack of peace staying. And uh, over time, you'll understand the distinction there. Just because you want something, again, we've already quoted, I think it's Proverbs 28, 26. He who trusts in his heart is a fool. <laughs> if you're trusting in what you, your feelings want, you're a fool. Uh, you need to seek the Lord. Re remember uh, Jesus' words, uh, asking, seeking, knocking. And it was so clear that I needed to go. So that is how we determine the will of God uh, in the new covenant. And 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 you know something, uh, if we were allowed to to determine the will of God by lots, we would be walking around all day with uh, a couple of dice, and uh, we'd never be seeking the Lord. We wouldn't be talking to Him. We'd just be uh, throwing the dice all day and be, we would be ignoring God. Such is, uh, the frame of our fallen nature. And so, uh, <clears throat> verse two, it's, uh, uh, the inheritance here for the nine and a half tribes, uh, west of the Jordan by lot. Verse three, for Moses had given the inheritance of the two and a half tribes on the other side of the Jordan, but to the Levites, he had given no inheritance among them. So there again uh, is that uh, reminder about the Levites, verse four, for the children of Joseph were two tribes. 
Manasseh, and Ephraim. And they gave no part to the Levites in the land except cities to dwell in with their common lands for their livestock and their property. And so what that is talking about is um, because the Levites don't have an allotment of land, uh, there's a double portion given to uh, given uh, to basically the descendants of Joseph, uh, you may remember in Genesis chapter, I believe it is 48, uh, when uh, Jacob, uh, rather when Joseph came to Jacob with his two sons, he basically claimed them as his own. Uh, in other words, he was giving and he was choosing Joseph to be his inheritance rather than his oldest son. They had that right. They did that kind of thing. And he said, um, and, and by the way, Joseph, it's not you. It's going to be both your sons. Both your sons are mine, uh, he says in Genesis 48, ver verse 5. Uh, in the same sense, Joseph, that you're mine, my son. Now these two are my sons. I'm going to give them an inheritance. And so um, because Levite was not getting inheritance, um, they would be getting those two descendants that would be, uh, that would be uh, Manasseh and Ephraim would be getting their own inheritance. And so... Uh, here you have it in verse five. The Lord had come as the Lord had commanded Moses, so the children of Israel did, and they divided the land. So they're going to uh, be dividing the land now. It starts off here uh, with a fascinating story. It says the children of Judah came to Joshua and Gilgal, and Caleb the son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite said to him. You know the word which the Lord said to Moses, the man of God concerning you and me in Kadesh Barnea. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought back word to him as it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brethren who went with me made the heart of the people melt, but I wholly followed the Lord my God. So Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land where your foot has trodden shall be your inheritance and your children's forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now behold, the Lord has kept me alive, as he said, these 45 years, ever since the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel wandered in the wilderness. And now here I am this day, 85 years old. And yet I, I am as strong this day as on the day that Moses sent me, just as my strength was then, so now is my strength for war, both going out and coming in. Now therefore, give me this mountain of which the Lord spoke in that day, for you heard in that day how the Anakim were there, and that the cities were great and fortified. It may be that the Lord will, will be with me, and I shall be able to drive them out, as the Lord said. And Joshua blessed him and gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, as an inheritance. Okay, so we're going to spend a good deal of time with this because there's really so much to uh, learn here. So you have this man, Caleb, uh, who remember from Numbers...
from the uh, book of Numbers, chapter 13. Caleb was one of the 12 spies who one year after the Israelites were delivered from slavery in the land of Egypt, they were right up at the border of the promised land, land flown with milk and honey, the land that had been promised to them through Moses. And 12 spies were sent up into the land and they were to immediately enter into that land upon the spies' return. But 10 of the spies came back with a, um, with a report and it actually, the report is described in verse 27 and 28 of Numbers 13. The 10 spies told uh, Moses and the multitude, we went to the land where you sent us. Yes, it truly flows with milk and honey, but the people dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there, meaning the giants. And those 10 people stirred up the other 2 million people. And they basically rebelled and refused to go in. In fact, they tried to stone Moses uh, and uh, a plague was from the Lord came out uh, amongst them. Uh, Moses interceded and it stopped, but the, the, the additional judgment was as the Lord said, okay, uh, you don't want to go in? And by the way, the reason they didn't want to go in that they gave was they didn't want their children to become victims in the land. Uh, they said, and God told them, your children who will become victims, they will come in, but you, you're going to die here in the wilderness in a wandering that's going to last 39 more years. However, also among those 12 tribes was Joshua and Caleb. And they went up and they came back. And as the people were getting stirred up in fear, they said, no, 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 no. Let us go up at once and take possession for we are able to overcome it. And, and they spoke uh, to the uh to the people and said in chapter 14, verse nine, don't rebel against the Lord. Uh, the Lord is will with us. We can take this land. Uh, nevertheless, the people gave into the fear. You know, fear is an interesting thing. We live in these, uh, these, these bodies of death as, 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 uh, as Paul describes them. We have an old man an old nature. We have the flesh and the, the flesh can't help but find something to fear. It, it's going to look for something to fear, even if there's nothing around. If there's nothing around that it can fear, which is a real fear, it'll make up an imaginary fear. That's what the flesh does. And so oftentimes, this is how crowds uh, behave. And don't let this be you. When, when there's a word, the crowd oftentimes uh, is stirred up in fear uh, and that's what happened in Numbers 13 and 14. But here, this man Caleb, uh, he and Joshua were, were told that you two are going to be the only ones um, who I am going to let into the land. That is, uh, 18, uh, those who are 18 years and older. Um, and so here, here he is, and it's uh, 45 years later, he's showing up and he's um, claiming what was promised to him because what was promised to him at that time, 45 years earlier, 
that land that you saw, you're going to get. Now, interesting thing, uh, so many uh, lessons here about uh, Caleb that are uh, good for us. One, it says in verse 6, he's not even a Jew, uh, at least by birth. He's a Kenizzite, meaning he is basically a a descendant of pagans. We know that from Genesis chapter 15. He's a descendant of the very people who um, are occupying the land that uh, the Lord had told uh, Abraham hundreds of years earlier, I'm going to give you this land. It's the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cabanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephraim, the Amorites, and the Canaanites. And so He's a Caleb's a descendant of 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 these pagan people, uh, but he has converted to Judaism, uh, to the worship of Jehovah, and uh, so if you remember when the Israelites were delivered from slavery and left Egypt, there was accompanying them a group of people called the mixed multitude. Now. The mixed multitude were not Jews. They were, among others, Canaanites. Apparently, we find out here they were other people, uh, and we, and and it appears many of them who didn't worship God at all. But they saw that God, there was a God that favored this people, and there was a God that had basically subdued the most powerful kingdom on earth through ten plagues, and they said we're. Uh, we're going with these people. Now, These this mixed multitude d- did draw Israel into sin in the wilderness uh, by complaining and things like that. But we learn here that some of them were became genuine believers, one of them being Caleb. Now, uh, what do we learn from that? Well, we learn from that uh, just because we're an outsider. You know, uh, I, I myself, when I became a born-again Christian, I really felt like an outsider. And the reason was I had not been raised in a Christian home. I, I, I wasn't even, um, never heard the term born-again from a pulpit until I was 16 or 17. And um, once I became a Christian, I really did feel like an outsider. And uh uh, and just because you, some of you are listening, and and you didn't grow up in a Christian home, and you, and you you you've become a Christian, and you look around at the people, and 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 uh, some of the people look like they have halos around their head. I don't know. They grew up being homeschooled in Christian families or whatever, and um, the devil's going to be telling you you're never going to be like one. You're never going to prosper. Well. Go right to Joshua chapter 14. Uh, It's interesting that only two men were allowed in and one wasn't even a Jew. Uh, and so God's not a respecter of persons. He He's looking for hearts that are um, after him. You know, um, I myself uh, am very proud of the heritage of Calvary Chapel. And although myself, I have received quite a bit of, of, of education because of the background that I came uh, from, Many of the Calvary Chapel pastors who have been used in such a mighty way, uh, they didn't even, uh, some of them haven't even graduated from high school, much less college. They were Kenizzites in a way, uh, coming in, and they've been greatly 
um, uh, criticized Calvary Chapel has over the years that because the pastors are unqualified, they haven't gone to seminary, this type of thing. Well, um, I always say my seminary was, uh, I was trained for nine years by two godly pastors, and uh, seminary is only three years. And so... Um, the model uh, of Calvary Chapel, I really like in that way. If a man is called, like Caleb was, it doesn't matter what their background, it doesn't matter what their sin was, it doesn't matter. Uh, some Calvary Chapel pastors were div divorced before they were saved and uh, uh, and m many other ugly things. But God will use uh, a man who humbles himself and is and, and will call these people. And so... Caleb was um, a Kenizzite, and here he was, it says, he was greatly blessed um, by the Lord. Now, uh, there's something else that is really important here that I want you to notice, and that is just uh, the principle of uh, waiting on the Lord. Now, um, I have shared before that other than the Bible, there's two small little books by Andrew Murray. One's called Abide in Christ. The other's called Waiting on God that had just a profound influence um, on on my life as a young believer. It just, just taught me um, what it meant uh, to be a... Um, to, to walk faithfully by the by the Spirit, waiting on God, and and here you see what perhaps may be the best example in the whole Bible of someone or practical example of someone who's waiting on God. Now that term, waiting on God, I don't know how many times this phrase used in the Bible. Many many times. Um, Psalm 27, verse 14, wait on the Lord, be of good, good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Psalm 37, uh, verse 7, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. And I think particularly appropriate is verse 9, uh, those who wait on the Lord, um, they shall inherit the earth. Psalm 37, verse 9, because that's exactly what's happened here with Caleb, he was given a promise 45 years before, and he waited. Now, um, why do I say this is the best example, and this may be the best example of someone waiting on the Lord? Because so oftentimes people see that uh, waiting on the Lord, and they get hyper-spiritual, and it's like, okay, I'm just going to sit around and, and, and wait on the Lord, and, um, you know, and and at some point, you know, if, if he wants me to to, to uh, I don't know, uh, take a wife, um, she'll knock on my door. Or if I'm supposed to become a pastor, uh, someone will call me and say, hey, become a pastor at my church. Uh, or if I'm supposed to be an evangelist, um, uh, someone else will call me and just show up and say, hey, come out and witness. That's not waiting on the Lord. Uh, waiting on the Lord is doing exactly what Caleb did, which is actively recognizing it. Number one, recognizing that what God has promised you is not going to happen right now, that it's going to happen sometime in the future. Nevertheless, you do faithfully whatever uh, God has put right in front of you. And that is exactly what Caleb did. This is a man of war. He's been involved in, in, in wars and battles and he's faithfully battled. He didn't sit 
you know, stand in the background. Well, you know, that land's been promised to me and somehow it's just going to happen. No, he goes and he fights for it um, here. And uh, he was a faithful father. He was a faith. We'll see that uh, a little later. We'll, we'll see. Uh, he, he, he's a faithful uh, husband uh, during this time. It's faithfully, actively doing. You know, some many times there'll be someone in the church who they're living in the future. They're not actively engaged in the now. They're basically, you know, I know I'm supposed to do this someday, and that's all they ever want to talk about is someday. They don't want to put their hand to the plow now. If that's you, repent and and go serve in your local church now. Uh, And so a great example here of someone who waited 45 years and was faithful to that time. Now, waiting on the God, uh, waiting on the Lord, um, also means not sinning. So uh, you know, well, I can. If you say, well, waiting on God, I know I'm supposed to do this someday, this this thing or whatever. But until then, I'm just going to live it up, and and sin and live according to the flesh. No, verse eight says of uh, Caleb says, I wholly followed the Lord my God. Now. Are you listening? Can you say that of your life right now? And by the way, that that's it's a spirit. Don't think it's an unspiritual, unhumble thing to say. Actually, it's a lack of humility not to give God the credit for what He's doing in your life. Uh, the the people who uh, are mature believers that I know would would all answer something like this to the question: Do you wholly follow the Lord? They would say, "Yes, I do. I'm not perfect, but I do." But if if that's um, if that's if you can't answer in the affirmative that you are wholly following the Lord, you're not waiting on God, and you need to repent and you need to turn every area of your life um, over to the Lord. Um, this uh, man Caleb uh, established such a great foundation. You know. Um, he, 45 year, uh, 45 years earlier, he was willing to stand alone to do what is right. And he was willing to stand alone amongst the people of God. Uh, don't think that, well, five, ten years from now, that I, I, I'm going to really be establishing my foundation. No, that ain't going to happen. You need to, uh, you need to establish your foundation now. And he established it. Uh, 45 years earlier, you know, the Christian life very much is, if you wholly follow the Lord, very much is like that Christian t-shirt or that poster where, you know, you have the river with all the fish going one way and then there's a Christian uh, uh, going in the opposite direction. It really is like that. Uh, But why is he able to wait 45 years? Because he's established the foundation many years before. He said, no, the time to to serve the Lord is now. And and that's what he he did. What else can we learn from uh, the the life of Caleb? So much to learn here. Uh, One is... is this, he's 85 years old, and it says in verse 12, he says, give me this land, this mountain. He says, I know the Anakim are uh, are on this mountain, meaning that there's giants here, I get that, Um, but it may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall be, be able to drive them out. 
praise the Lord. Here is a man who is uh, who is uh, older in years. He's 85. And he, nothing is more dismaying than hearing a Christian say, well, you know, I put in my years with the Lord and, and, and now it's up to other people. That's rebellion. That's disobedience. And uh, that's going to be, uh, there's going to be chastening for that man or woman saying that thing. No, we are supposed to serve the Lord. We're supposed to fight in this battle unto the day we die. I love Psalm 71, 18, uh, which David uh, says this. He says, I am old and gray-headed. Oh God, do not forsake me until I declare your strength to this generation, your power to everyone who is to come. And that should be for everyone's life. Our life should be a demonstration to the generation around us until we die that uh, God is strong and that God is powerful. And, and, and that's, what, um, that's what Jacob, uh, rather, that's what Caleb does uh, right here. Uh, um, he's he, he's willing to do that, and he he's going to go in, and he's going to possess it. Um, we'll see that. And Joshua blessed him and gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jeff, uh, of Jephunneh, as an inheritance. Now, yet again, that one last lesson here. Uh, it, it's interesting that although he wasn't even a Jew. Uh, he really got the crown jewel um, of the land at this point. Hebron was the place where Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were buried. And here it is going to a non-Jew. Uh, and, and just, again, whatever a man sows, he's going to reap. Whatever a woman sows, she's going to weep. Whatever child sows, he, he or she's going to reap. And here he is getting Hebron uh, with such a history here. God is not a respecter of person. He's not one to receive face. He will grant to the heart of that man or woman who's wholly devoted to him the best, the cream of the crop. Um, we we're not given based up uh, to the Lord, by the Lord based upon our inher- uh, our heritage. Um, it, it, it's on uh, it's it's all about grace being saved initially being saved certainly about grace and our whole walk is about grace. But um, but in terms of our reward, he is not a respecter of person. Uh, verse fourteen, Hebron therefore became the inheritance of Caleb the son of Jephunneh the Kinsite to this day. Why? Verse 14, because he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. And the name of Hebron was formerly Kirjoth Arba. Arba was the greatest man among the Anakim, meaning he was a a, a giant. Um, But it was renamed from Kirjoth Arba to Hebron. Then the land had rest from war. Last thing, why uh, is this given right here in the middle uh, why is this story given in the middle of, uh, of this process of apportioning land? Again, it's because some people, um, some of the tribes were not going to conquer. They were going to use the very excuses that Caleb could have used. Well, I'm old. I, I can't. I don't have time to go in and, and possess everything. Uh, or there's a giant here and it was just, I, I was mistreated as a youth and um, I got issues, and I, I can't defeat this. Uh, can't defeat this, this giant. Nope, that is not what Caleb did, and it's a way of right in the middle of this allotment, telling everyone, you have no excuse. 
you can go in and you can take the land God has promised it. Okay, so there you have it. Uh, wonderful, wonderful, encouraging story of Caleb. We will begin next time in chapter 15. God bless you.